0: You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. The time has come. I like that. The time is now. For Victoria Stilwell's Positively Podcast.
1: I'm just I'm laughing because I'm going to admit it, she's it's still a holiday, right? Because even though Thanksgiving was last week, I'm still eating like it's still a holiday and drinking. And I have a glass of wine, which we're not really sure. Smell that. I'm not well, sure Well, don't give a or- glass of wine to me. I didn't drink. Oh, so then you don't know if it's good or not. It no. smells terrible to you. I can't tell if it's good or not, and I'm drinking it like it is good, but then again, I've been eating turkey for like 10 days now, like it is still okay. How are you?
2: I'm very good. <laughs> oh, yeah, I am the worst person to talk about alcohol because even try- the best wines in the world, I, I just go, oh, don't like it. I really don't like the taste of it. Do so you want to give me the taste of
1: any liquor? No,
2: I've tried, but I don't like it. Really? I don't. Do- about, I drink water. Yeah. I drink apple juice, mm-hmm. sometimes orange juice, mm-hmm. a fabulous blackcurrant drink in England called Ribena,
1: and that's it. No wonder you're thin and cute. And Look, I'm a cheap date. Oh, God. Right. That's why my husband married me. <laughs> anyway, so, um, how, speaking of Thanksgiving and still drinking, and, uh, <laughs> how was your Thanksgiving? It was
2: fabulous.
1: It was fabulous. Great to spend it with my family. And, uh, how was yours? It was great. The, the same dysfunctional mess and the same dysfunctional people every year. Um, my mom, my friend, everybody comes in and there's always some kind of major catastrophe that happens. And it happened and we all got over it. Nobody's bleeding, broken, or. You know, wounded. What um, is that
2: when families get together? Oh
1: yeah, we have yeah, the fun and dysfunctional. Always, we oh
2: gosh, so I do know. mine. You know, we're all the same. Yeah, there is always some great drama that you have to go go through. And you know, when we were after Christmas, I used to dread going back to my grandmother's. We would go back to my grandmother's on January the first. Everybody, not us kids, but everybody's hungover,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and we go to visit my grandmother. And of course, ultimately, I called it the new year fight because there would always be a massive argument between my grandmother and my mother without a doubt. Right. My sister and I would just roll our eyes at each other. Here we go again. (laughs) And that's when we would take the dogs and take them out for a walk whilst my
1: mom and grandmother went at it. (laughs) So it
2: just, when families get together, yeah, it's wonderful, but... I know sometimes when
1: they leave. Right. Although I do get, then I get that. I have, um, you know, speaking of issues and stuff, I I have abandonment, I guess a a separation, attachment issues. We'll talk about attachment issues. Mm. I, my, my worst, you know, when they say, what's, what's the, what's your favorite word? What's your least favorite word? My least favorite word is goodbye. That's the worst word to me ever. So if you ever want to see me meltdown, say goodbye. And so that, you know, as much as you're like, oh my gosh, and oh God, you know, Then they leave and I and I break down and my husband's like, "What's wrong with you?" And I was like, "My mom left." He's ten minutes ago. She left. How can you be so sad already? I'm the same.
2: I'm the same. I know. And you met my mom? I didn't. She's fabulous and she's so good looking. (laughs) She's like you. She's hot. (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, gosh, if I look like her when I'm her age, I hope i look very like her. happy. I know. Can <laughs> I just say, before we came onto this podcast, Holly yeah. and I were talking about facelifts. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: know. We're, we're that good of friends now where I'm like, yeah, I'm ready for a half lift or I'm ready to get my chin sucked out. And while they're there, maybe they could just liposuck the whole thing. And <laughs> you just never know. I just, yes. As I drink my wine and eat the rest of my... Anyway, but, um, I want to tell you about a really cool event that's coming up on Sunday. If you're in the Atlanta area... Um, or if you have an organization near you like this and want to do something like this, it's a great idea. On Sunday, I'm hosting, um, it's called Bail for Bond at the Studio Movie Grill in Duluth. It's one of those movie theaters. I don't know if they have them across the country, but here in Atlanta, there's a few where you can go see a movie and you can order food and you can eat and drink. There might be a bar, there might be a, uh, you know, whatever you want. You order food and you sit at nice tables and you watch a movie. And so they are screening Skyfall, and it's co- that's why it's called Bail for Bond, and it's going to um, benefit the Jail Dog Program. So basically, you know the Jail Dog Program, right? Yes, You've I've been there. I've actually
2: on my, if you go to eHowPets, um, youtube.com slash eHowPets, there mm-hmm. is an American Dog episode that we filmed at the Quinnette County Jail about the Jail Dog Program there. So, uh, Explain if you, what it is. Well, it's a program that... They take rescue dogs from the local humane society, and the the inmates train the dogs until they get adopted. And it really is a wonderful program because not only are they giving the dogs that ultimately on death row a second chance, but they're also giving these guys a second chance. A lot of these guys have had, uh, you know, have made poor decisions, but they've had Mm -hmm. difficult starts in life, and you know they they've ended up they're facing the time. They're ending up. In a place where they don't want to be, yet these dogs are giving them hope. It's a great program. It's a win-win situation. They have, in the time they started, I think they've been going for about one and a half years, they've adopted or had adopted out well over 100 dogs. That's a huge success. And it gives the men such a a feeling that they're actually contributing back to society.
1: So I love it. And it gives them attachment because you know oftentimes unfortunately some of the people who end up in prison are the people who fall through the cracks and who are left behind who never had that family uh that family, you know That we laugh about that they're so dysfunctional, but they never had that love and attention and attachment. And this gives them something and, you know, to, to work for and gives them, you're right, a sense of purpose. So if you're in the Atlanta area, anywhere around the studio movie grill in Duluth, it's at four o'clock this Sunday, December 2nd. And it's 12 bucks. And basically it, that's your movie, your popcorn and a soda. And if you want to get anything else, you can, but all $12, 100% of the ticket proceeds go to the Chill Dog program. And I love it. So I would love it if you, could come out to see us. And if you're not around this weekend, you can see us next weekend at the Atlanta Botanical Gardens where we are judging the rain dog event.
2: Which we do every year. Holly and I (laughs) MC it. We love it. And then they get some great judges to come along. And we just have a really fun time. And you come along. You can register. So go to the Atlanta... Botanical Gardens Facebook site. You can register there. And uh, you have to register your dog by December the 3rd. And there's all kinds of categories. Best puppy, best senior dog, cutest dog. Group dogs. Um, Yeah. And uh, you come up with a theme. Yeah, it's dressing your dogs up. Everybody knows what I think about dressing your dogs up. But But it's for like 20 minutes, it's not bad. Of course it is. I'm not going to be such a killjoy. Of course, you know, have fun. But it really is a great event. So if you, I encourage you to come there. If not just to meet Holly and
1: myself. There you go. In the flesh. Okay. I'll, I promise I will stop eating and drinking by then. Maybe. Um, but also too, if even if you don't have a dog to dress up, that's not a big deal. Bring your kids. How fun would it be? A great outing. It's a beautiful day. At the Atlanta Botanical Gardens, you can go see the gardens after, but to go bring the kids, see the dogs, see them dressed up, get into the holiday spirit, St. Nick is there, you have some hot chocolate and walk through the gardens and then spend the whole day and then the night, they have the beautiful lights. So that is a week from Saturday. What's the date on that? 8th the- of
2: December. The oh. 8th of December between 11 and 1 o'clock p.m. Dang, you're My good. My daughter is one of the judges, I Let love me just it. tell you. I love it. She's great. She's been there every year. She's grown up in the Atlanta Botanical Gardens and... And uh, she's so she to be there judge. too. She's a tough judge. Yeah. There are also some great designers. We had Vern Yip there last year. Do That's you remember? Right. We Wonderful um, yes. designer, and uh, who I said you could never come to my house. <laughs> I like you so much. I love watching your shows. I think you're so awesomely talented. I will never
1: invite you round. That's okay because he probably says, "Don't ever come over and meet my dog." Yeah, can okay. you understand that? Um, okay, so um, I was, um, as you, you were over at my house last week and, um, you witnessed my 15 year old cat, George, who, um, his quite interesting cat. Um, he's very sweet. He's very nice when he wants to be. Sometimes you just have to be very careful. It's it's just so hard to tell he's a cat. I love him to death. He's gotten a lot nicer than he was, but I do believe he's trying to kill us and actually found a, a quiz online. It says, as your cat trying to kill you. And I filled it out and I got 89% chance that my cat's trying to kill me. My husband, Sean, filled it out and there's a 91% chance that he's trying to kill him. So uh, one thing, if we don't show up for the next podcast, know something happened, go look at the dog, the cat George. <laughs> um, and then I started reading about cats because I was curious to see, well, how can he kill me and why and all that? And I found a great cat quiz and i know we always talk about dog quizzes and you always quiz me on dogs so i thought well you know what let's talk about cats equal time right
0: open your notebook sharpen your pencil and get ready you're about to attend victoria's animal academy
3: I'm
1: okay so the cat facts quiz how much do you know about our feline friends Victoria, I have 10 questions for you. I didn't get some of them. You're probably going to get most of them, if not all of them. But oh, some don't of them.
2: say that. You're absolutely <laughs> going to set me up for
1: complete <laughs> failure. Here's the deal, though. No matter what happens, your cat's not trying to kill you like mine is trying to kill me. So we're all good. All right. The first question is, when used to describe a cat's behavior, bunting, B-U-N-T-I-N-G, bunting is when a cat, A, uses urine to mark a doorway, B, chatters at the sight of a bird, C, bumps and rubs his head to leave a scent mark, or D, bats around his prey. I think it's C. Yes, you are correct. I knew you'd get this. Every cat lover is familiar with bunting, which is what a cat does when he bumps and rubs on something such as your leg or hand. Right. I don't know why. Oh, to leave a scent mark. There it is. I own you. Yes. There you go. All right. See, you're off to a great start. One for one. Oh, thank goodness I got that one. Which of these is not a reason why cats claw things? One, to keep claws sharp and help remove worn claw sheaths. Two, to leave a scent on an object. Three, to provide muscles with a good stretch. Or D, to be spiteful. Why do they not do that? Uh, D. Correct. Contrary to common belief, cats don't destroy your sofa for spite, but because clawing is natural feline behavior. Exactly.
2: Same Beep. with dogs. Dogs don't pee on things out of spite or chew things or destroy things out of spite. It's a very human condition.
1: <laughs> Your husband does. Uh, a cat who is getting agitated to the point of lashing out while being petted will often have a tail that's A, twitching and flipping at the tip, B, wagging gently from the base. C, perfectly still, or D, carried straight up. When it's what? When it's getting agitated to the point of lashing out while being petted. Flicking. Yes, you're right. Twitching and flipping at the tip. Yes, that's correct. Look at that. You know more about cats than anybody. Well,
2: because, uh, you know, I do do cats, too. You may. It's a a lesser known fact.
1: You're right. You may avoid a nasty bite by watching your cat's tail when the tail starts to flip and the petting session. Here's the deal. My cat doesn't do that.
2: Your he cat, just bites.
1: Your cat's weird. <laughs> he's not weird. He's just special. Yeah. Cats purr when they're A, content, B, frightened, C, injured, or D, all of the above. All
2: of the above. Yes. D. They really do. And I've seen cats that have been injured that are purring. And people say, oh, you know, why Why is my cat purring when it's... In... But they do.
1: Yep. It says, although most purring is a sign of a contentment, cats have also been known to purr in stressful or painful situations. Mm-hmm. Kind of sad. Okay. Fifth question. Most cats have how many whiskers? This is the trick one. 18, 24, 32, or 56. Now I
2: really have no idea.
1: (laughs) And I'm just going to say that right now. I have absolutely no idea. Well, here's the question. I want to know who counted. uh, Nothing. Right. They don't have whiskers. (laughs) No, they do. They do. Otherwise, you know what happens when you cut a cat's whiskers? I know. It's their sense of balance. I've learned that. Oh, look, the cat's whiskers. Are, and you know how cats get old and they get the old man Our whiskers? Our producer
2: is just laughing <laughs> back there.
1: Cats have 24 whiskers, most cats. They're neatly divided into four rows on each side of the face. Each whisker, though they're technically called vibrissae, is embedded yeah. deeper than normal hairs to enhance its sensory input. All right, there you have There it. you go. Questions? Don't cut Six. your cat's vibrissae. No, I don't, because A, they fall over things and B, if you don't,
2: but they I do for cat be- shows.
1: Well, I know. And then they look terrible.
2: But they do the same with dogs as well. They it's cut horrible. their whiskers Hate it.
1: You can't do that. Okay. Which of the following places are not good for petting, in the opinion of most cats? The tummy, the underside of the chin, the base of the tail, or the side of the face?
2: I know a lot of cats don't like being pet on their stomach.
1: That is correct. There you go. Uh, many, many cats become agitated if petted on the tummy They may claw or bite. Save tummy rubs for your dog. I have to say, we had a cat (laughs) called
2: Angelica who loved having her stomach rubbed. That's weird. Yeah.
1: I think, yeah. Oh, our our producer has a question. Do whiskers grow back? I do believe they do. They They grow like hairs. Because have you ever seen a whisker fall out of a cat? Yeah, I've seen cat whiskers uh, a lot. And um, as they get older, they get old man whiskers where they're all kind of funky shaped and they get all weirded, and they grow back like that. Just so my you know.
2: husband has old man whiskers now; he's getting old. There you go. He see? reached forty. Oh so. my gosh! Such mm-hmm. an old man. Ho, ho, I don't ho. remember
1: forty. I'm kidding. Um, anyway, yes, and don't pet a cat on the stomach. I've tried that once, and I have scars to prove that. Um, number seven: the average cat weighs between twelve and fifteen pounds, between eight and ten pounds more than 15 pounds between 6 and 8 pounds
2: well what are we talking about the united states of
1: america the average cat i don't <sighs> know, what should it weigh sort <laughs> before we overfeed it with treats
2: can you give me the the weights again 12 Something.
1: and 15 8 and 10 more than 15 6 and 8
2: uh, but you know it depends on
1: the cat the average
2: the average don't look uh, at
1: my cat my cat's extremely large he's like 14 pounds
2: i know 12, uh between of pure death Between eight, did you say eight and 10? Yes, that's correct.
1: Thank you. Well, most (sighs) most cats, most average weight cats will come in between eight and 10 pounds, some cat breeds will normally be much heavier. A healthy cat should have a little padding over the ribs, but not too much. And if you
2: live in the United States of America, and your cat is an indoor cat, your cat will weigh a lot more.
1: Right. My cat's an indoor cat. He's almost 15 pounds, but he's Mm. all muscle, and he gets that...
3: He's all he muscle. Is.
1: He is all muscle. Have you seen that cat? But he does have that little. He has the belly portion. The belly the thing. That's punch, like the yeah. old man belly thing. He is 15. Mm-hmm. All right. Question Our number Our producer's
2: eight. sipping a gin. Do you know that? There was Whilst a, we're
1: sitting here. Well, it's okay. i drinking this bad in, wine. Oh, no, whiskey.
2: <laughs> so you, he poured you bad wine and now he's drinking
1: whiskey. This and is why this quiz is going terribly folks, wrong. Folks, i drinking water here. <laughs> all right. Question number eight. Cats start their grooming routine by licking their tail tips, licking their flanks, licking their lips, or licking their paws. Well, it's a trick question.
2: It could be all of the above, really.
1: Start. Um, they start the
2: Well, do you know, I always see cats starting their grooming with their paws, but I think You're on the they right track. Uh, their paws. They lick their lips first. I think they do that to get the saliva flowing, and then they start on their paws.
1: Dang. Is that it? Good, yes. A cat <laughs> will generally groom himself in the same sequence. Start by licking his lips, then his paws, <laughs> then rubbing the paws over his head, and the tail is generally last <laughs> to get <laughs> cleaned. Here's the thing. You know, they say cats are the cleanest animals. They're always grooming. No, cats are just covered in cat spit. Let's just be clear. That is Grace. Right. gross. Number nine, high-rise syndrome. Refers to yep. a cat's preference for perching on tall objects, the ability of cats to live happily in upper floor apartments, the survival rate of cats who fall from high places, or a cat's enjoyment of a good view. No, the
2: sea unfortunately, yes. living in Manhattan, I know all about that. Feline high-rise syndrome.
1: Cats can right themselves in midair and brace for impact if they have the time, which is why cats have a better chance of surviving a fall from a few floors up than from a balcony closer to the ground. Above a certain height, however, no cat can survive the fall. So do not drop and test your cat.
2: Please, if you live in an apartment, don't just leave your window open so that your cat can fall out.
1: All right, and the last question is, oh my
2: gosh, hi, you're nine for nine. Thank you. I'm so pleased because, you know, everybody knows me for dogs
1: and. Right now you're going to have to be Victoria Stowell animal and well, I dog do, and cat trainer. You know,
2: I love I'm gonna come up teaching with a, cats as well. So I'm Come up with a bird quiz next.
1: Yeah, bird. No, well, I'll be totally flawed then. I will have no idea. The normal body temperature of a cat is 97 degrees between 100 and 102 and a half degrees. 99 degrees or 104 degrees? B. Yes. Gosh. Temperatures below 99 degrees or above 103 degrees are reason to worry and call your vet. How about that? So, so if anyway, anybody
2: has got some, any cat questions, this is now podcast that <laughs> so we're dealing with cats too.
1: Fine. I'm going to oh, do birds and a I was, I was a little snack. nervous about that. You totally got it. I have some cat facts too. Sometimes I'm going to have to come up with something else. I cannot stump the band. All right, here's the deal. I know you know a lot about cats, and I know you know everything about dogs, and you have some amazing dog trainers as far as as far as part of Victoria Stillwell's positively dog trainers. So uh, let's get one particular dog trainer on the phone, shall we? Let's do it.
0: The Positively Hotline is ringing. We
1: don't know what we're going to do. We have no plan. We're just here. Who's
0: calling in this, this week? week? after her, her like she's made out of ham.
1: That is interesting.
2: That's
0: exciting. Um, is somebody going to answer that? Hello?
2: Hotline ringing. You're on your phone, and I don't think you're taking any of this seriously. It's
1: the phone! Ladies and gentlemen, let's go! He-
2: we have on the Positively Hotline today, Sam White, who is a Victoria Store Positively dog trainer. He has a fabulous company called The Inner Dog, and he operates in Long Branch, New Jersey, near the Jersey Shore area. He's absolutely incredible, and um, thank you so much for joining us today, Sam. Hi, Sam.
3: How are you guys? Glad to be here.
2: We're good, thank you. Now, we were thinking about you a lot during Hurricane Sandy, because, of course, you're on the Jersey Shore. Can you tell us what it was like?
3: What it was like? I have to admit, I have lived in Florida for a few years. I've gone through some storms and hurricanes down there. But for this area, I'm sure there's a vocabulary, better people with better vocabularies than mine. I found it to be very frightening. Uh, You know, I faced a lot in my years as a police officer. I faced stuff in the military But you just don't want to get in the way of Mother Nature, and for us along this area, and because of where it came ashore, it created an experience that, as the forecaster said, was once-in-a-lifetime.
1: Wow. It, you know, and because you're uh, an animal trainer, I know a lot of people were concerned about the pets there. I mean, people were evacuating, people were stranded, and we know a lot of shelters wouldn't take animals. Do you know anything about the situation there? I know we're a couple weeks out, but, uh you know, if people are reunited with their pets, if they don't have homes, are there places where they could take their pets?
3: There was some amazing work done by the the shelters in the area, as well as just rescue groups who don't have facilities and who set up temporary shelters. Wow. For me, the disheartening part, as well as for all of these groups, were the amount of pets that were abandoned Ugh. during the storm. I was with over at one of the shelters today doing behavior assessments, and even now they're finding pets that were abandoned, uh, no food, no water, very reminiscent of mm. what was found in the aftermath of Katrina, weeks and months, and even... 15 to 18 months out from that disaster. So, I mean, I'm sure we're not going to find them that far out, but it is still happening, and it just really is disconcerting because I, I do not understand abandonment. Mm.
1: Are they are, are they going to try and find other homes for these oh, pets yeah. now? I mean, and can anybody across the country, you know, adopt a, a, a Sandy pet?
3: Yes. The, the shelters... Uh, most of the shelters are using Petfinder, Temp, and social media, Facebook and Twitter and that, to try to reunite families with their pets. Some people have walked away and just never looked back. Other Ugh. people have called to say, I'm living out of my car. Can you hold them for, for a while? There is an amazing place out in Jackson, New Jersey, that started a few years ago in response to people that were losing their homes or military members who were being deployed overseas a place called Sear Farms, and what they would do is they would take in at no cost, like companion, pet, dogs, cats, and hold them there, take care of them, you know, all of the basic needs until the person could get themselves on their feet or find family members to take in the pets and that. And I know that in just a couple of days, they took in over a 100. So there was a call that went out for volunteers to help build Mm -hmm. new enclosures and new catteries and shelters and that, as well as to clear the property, which had suffered some damage. So it's been a a pretty amazing effort. Best Friends Animal Society brought their rapid response team uh, out here. Those guys drove uh, 27 hours to bring in the transport vehicle. Their Southwest Airlines has gotten involved to fly 60-some pets out of here to Northern California shelters, pets that were not reclaimed in that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's there's a lot being done.
1: Good.
2: Okay. Yeah, yeah, I heard about, I mean, Red Rover, which is um, used to be United Animal Nations, but then now called Red Rover, uh, they came down and helped out with the situation. American Humane Red Star came out and uh, helped Detroit Dog Rescue, drove from mm. Detroit to come and deliver food. I mean, there were so many... Amazing teams from all around the country that came to help.
3: The and... amount of tractor trailers that showed up, literally from almost you think fifty, all fifty states, wow. who came in with pet supplies of every kind. And if the shelters couldn't take any more, the rescues couldn't take any more. They actually took them to the sites where people were being sheltered or the displaced residents, you know, were were holed up. To distribute, it was it was very heartwarming to see Mm -hmm. that. Like I said, the only heartbreaker has been the amount of animals that were abandoned and just not reclaimed.
1: Wow! And you, uh, Victoria, had mentioned in your introduction that you were a police officer and you were in the military. How did you end up an animal trainer?
3: I was very lucky in my in my twilight years as a police (laughs) officer. I ended up becoming a a canine handler and running a canine unit. And for me and the experience I had being a handler as well as the experience I had in canine school because our instructors, uh, Bill, they didn't know it and there was no fancy term being banded about or, or a, a new phrase for the kind of training that was being done, they were very much uh, force-free trainers. The, the, the whole idea was to build a relationship with your dog that the dog could trust you and you could trust your dog. So hmm. for me, once I retired, it was you know trying to find a way to continue that which in the beginning, and, and this is only going back six years, uh, was difficult. The, uh, the methodologies and the techniques were predominantly, overwhelmingly, the old school methods, you know, yank and crank and, uh, mm. you know, choke chains and, and even worse, you know, helicoptering dogs that weren't uh, listening and uh, some other just brutal techniques. And I was very lucky that, that I ended up in places where uh, the people and and some of my mentors did not believe in it. So, and then after that, I was extremely lucky because actually of a, of a chance meeting at a, at a super adoption event to talk with the production people for Vic's uh, show. And from there, I had reached out to Vic after seeing one of her shows because we wanted to get one of the trainers out of Atlanta to see if she would be willing to get involved with what was then a, a fledgling Program with best friends, and then from there, I got lucky enough to have a chance to apply for and, and audition to become a, a BSPDT.
2: Haha, <laughs> and we're so proud to have you. You know, Sam's a big guy, okay? He's a big guy. You could imagine him in the police force or in the military, and this big guy is one of the most gentle people you'll ever meet, especially when he works with dogs. Now, Obviously, we have mostly women in Victoria. Still Positive Dog Training. We love it when we have men. I mean, we do have quite a lot of men. But, Sam, in your experience, when you, you're you this big man, you're going to someone's home, yet you practice positive reinforcement. Now, sometimes our positive reinforcement trainers are called weak. You know, all, all we do is stuff food in front of a dog's nose, and we're kind of ridiculed for that. I wouldn't call you weak. <laughs> Can you elaborate at, on that subject?
3: You're asking, you're asking me how, how, am I, how do people accept me when I, when I well, use yes. that? Well,
2: yes. And why did you choose to go the the positive route?
3: And again, I go. I mean, we had dogs all my life. And I grew up in out in a much different era. Um, you know, if I got, and, and God knows, as a kid, I got bit a lot by our dogs. But my father was always the one to smack me across the, the butt or something and say, what did you do to the dog? Uh, you know, and this is this is in the '60s, and and, and you know it was when the dog's eating, don't bother it. The dog's sleeping, don't bother it. And if you get bit, it's not something the dog did. You you got the dog angry, and you forced the dog to bite you. So you know we learned as kids to have a have a good relationship with our dogs, to respect the dog. And that was probably the biggest thing. And then in canine school, to have those kind of instructors who said to be a team. You have to have trust. It has to go both ways. You're not here to control your dog or dominate your dog or whatever else, but you're here to build trust. And if your dog's not listening to what you're asking it to do, if it's not taking direction, then what are you doing wrong? The first day of school, on top of telling you that if you can't talk to your dog like you're talking to a newborn baby to get out of my school, which really shocked us, um, you know, one of the other things they said was for the first next two weeks, you're going to be smarter than your dog. (laughs) For the following fourteen weeks, your dog's gonna be waiting for the stupid human to catch up.
1: <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that's, and they were right. That's awesome. And so you know, um, yeah, go ahead.
3: When you when I have a chance, when I get the chance to go in to talk to people and, and and listen, you know, there are just as many and this I know you know some people are gonna holler about this, but there are just as many women practicing the old school techniques with their companion dogs. Forget about the trainer side, just as owners or because of cultural differences, practicing old-school methods, as, as there are guys. I've gone into homes where the guy is definitely more apt to take on the, the positive reinforcement role than a woman and vice versa. Hmm. But I'm lucky because, A, I am male, and for women in the training profession, they are at a distinct disadvantage right off the bat.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Especially when you that. go into a home where you have a, a strong male presence. There is a tendency for the male to kind of uh, poo-poo what the woman's telling him. Uh, you know, they need you know, you're know you too soft, this and everything else. And then, for me, I'm able to go in as a retired cop, ex-military, and say, you guys can keep on doing this, but what is the relationship you want? I mean, do you want to be happy with your dog? And, you know, do you want to be happy with your kids? Do you want to be happy with your spouse? And usually you can find through their experiences or analogies of their experiences, the connection where they go, yeah, that's what I'd like to have. Okay, well, then let's talk. Let's talk about education. Did you get where you are just being beat on day and night? Which teachers made classes fun, even classes you didn't want to go to, stuff like that. And that's where we see the light bulb go on. Not always, but, you know, 90, 98, 99% of the time.
1: Here's a question for you. What is the uh, the, the craziest, most outrageous training that you've ever had to do?
3: Actually, it's going to be this Saturday.
1: Oh, what are you doing? <laughs> we like it. We may have to check in with you next week. What are you doing?
3: I am going to a home of, uh, of a couple who are really great people, heavily involved in their community, do a lot of charity work in that. They have four Great Dane slash English Mastiff mixes. Holy smokes. Between 165 and 220 pounds. Woo.
1: 220 pounds dog.
3: Wow. Four? Um and they have four of these. They the dogs that are individually actually great dogs, very socially skilled and acceptable. But as a group, they are oh. an absolute terror. Oh my
1: god! What are they doing? What are the What are the issues?
3: They act as a group, and when they <laughs> they're a do, gang, there is a a, a, um, a crowd mentality that <laughs> has a tendency to scare people. Ugh. Whether people pull into the driveway, when people come to the door, things like that, and it's really caused some—it's caused hey. some real tension among the family and even among friends. Wow! So the idea is, after a year and a half of this, uh, they happen to see the my van, which has my logo and Vicky's logo all over it, and jammed to be behind it in traffic. And she called me while she was sitting behind me in traffic, <laughs> to tell me her story and. Um, they're very they're very aware of Victoria's show, and they love their dogs a lot. They sent me pictures of their one dog who sits in a chair at dinner time oh, at gosh. the dinner table, and <laughs> the dogs each have their own raft for floating on the in ground pool and things no, like that. So,
1: awesome! You know, <laughs> I almost want you to videotape this so we can is see for it. is for the
3: dogs to not gang up on people when they come in to drive, walk on the property, come in the front door, etc. So it, it's it's going to be a challenge. It's four big dogs, wow. four very rambunctious dogs. Three out of the four are very young, and this is probably going to be the craziest because of the the, the number and size.
2: Sam, if anybody can do it, you can.
1: And when you're done, we know we know some great people here, uh, you know, plastic surgeons that can get rid of their gang tattoos for you once they're calm.
3: <laughs> well, I have to tell you that one of the great things on this was that I posted this on our uh, VSPD Facebook page ask for input from my fellow VSPD trainers. Mm -hmm. It is because of that page and that input that's really helped me to design the initial plan going in and to give that plan to the owners who are very happy with the plan. So, you know, the way it's it's going to be set up to work in that. So without those other VSPDTs, this would have been a whole lot harder. Yeah,
2: yeah, and that's what I love about VSPDT because when you – become part of our network, we have uh, a private Facebook page where you can, any VSPD team member could go and uh, talk about things put new research up new journals if they have an issue or if they have a complex case they can put up there and we all pitch in hey what, why don't you try this or do this and it's a really fabulous not just support group but uh, that comes up with great ideas a group that really is nurturing and loving so we're so pleased to have you sam and you know what good luck with that please take a picture Please take some photographs. We want to see we want to see these dogs, and so maybe we can put it up on. We'll put them up uh, on, the website. on the website. Yeah. Um, do
3: you want a picture of them on top of me or? Yeah, when I'm yeah. Up right?
2: I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> take one that makes us laugh, and then uh, and will you um, stick around because we're going to do some Ask Victorias now? Would you do that for us?
3: Sure.
2: Okay, great. So um Holly now here is going to ask some questions. She always does this to me.
0: Hey, you got something on your mind? What, are you, a wizard, a genius? How do they make a miniature? I mean, is there some way or some process? They, they physically miniaturize the dog or is it a puppy or what, what the devil is going on? That's a really good
2: question. I've got my work cut out for me here.
0: Next time you want to know something. Can you repeat the question? Why don't you ask Victoria? She's the expert with with this kind of of stuff, you know. Uh, You obviously don't know my dog. Just Just ask Victoria.
1: Okay, not only do we have Victoria here, but we have trainer extraordinaire Sam Wyke, part of the Victoria Stillwell Positively Dog Trainers. And uh, you're going to help us out with some of these questions, Sam, okay? Sounds good. All right, we're going to put you to the test. We usually put Victoria to the test, but she's... Right now, it looks like she's about to open a cocktail here and relax, so it's all I on am you. Yeah, no. I'm sitting
3: back. All right. <laughs> <laughs> <Woo. Sure. laughs> sure. sure. so Not Nice you to share. Exactly.
1: Yeah, right. I like your cooperation amongst your group. <laughs> okay. So this is from Shane, and Shane says, My fiancé and I have a Pomeranian that loves to bark and bully other dogs when we let her outside. She's good at sitting and waiting as the door, at the door, but as soon as we let her outside with the other dogs, she barks and barks until she runs up to other dogs and has her say. It's only, it's only for a minute or so, but it's still something we struggle with uh, for a solution. Please help. And isn't that like always the case? The little dogs sometimes can be the most aggressive and the bullies?
3: You know, you used the word there, though, that, that and pardon me for contradicting you, you know, being aggressive, it's just fear. You know, she runs out the door, there's other dogs. First thing I do is I put on a big show. Everybody sees, you know, I'm the biggest, baddest thing in the block. They're going to leave me alone. They kind of back off a little bit. Now I feel a little bit more confident, a little more comfortable, and then I move forward. Um, you know, this is pretty classic and actually pretty easy to work with. So you know, getting a hold of a trainer who understands dog-dog reactivity and the fear that's behind it, and it's since it only lasts for a minute or so. This should not be any kind of a, a long-term issue to work with.
1: But let me ask you this. So if the dog is in fear, kind of going out, going, I'm, you know, obviously maybe because they're so little. I'm big man. Don't mess with me. I'm so strong and powerful and I'm scary. If another dog doesn't read that right, though, there could be fisticuffs. That's a problem. <laughs> so, yeah. So what would you do to curb this that, behavior?
3: You know, the first thing is I'm not going to let her... I'm not going to take her right out into a situation like that. We're going to, be in, we're going to do some counter-conditioning and desensitization work to get her used to seeing other dogs But when she's below threshold, before she becomes reactive, to get her to understand that, wow, look at that, see another dog, and she's not being that way, and I'm rewarding her for that, lots of praise, lots of high-value rewards. You know, Let's get her loving it. When she sees a dog, she's looking to mom or dad going, hey, look at that, I did good, right? And then she's starting to get a little more confidence now. They're able to get a little bit closer. you work it slowly. Get a little closer. You know, make sure she's doing her meet and greets right when she gets up close to the dog. And, again, this is the one that's going to take long. Especially since for her it's not a long-lasting behavior. You know, she just needs that when she first gets out the door to have some distance and, and to be able to, to calm herself to, to cope with that sudden stress of seeing them. She'd, actually, she'd be a lot of fun to work with.
1: What is the proper meet and greet for dogs?
3: <laughs> Going slow. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you love when you see that oblique entry, you know, looking to sniff the anal glands. Mm-hmm. There's no prolonged direct eye contact. Very soft bodies. Um, there's this, it's a very polite, very civil type of thing. Uh, but you ha- But both dogs have to be, they have to be socially skilled in order to do that, and one of the big issues, and we, we've we heard this at the APDT conference, is that 45% of all the work trainers are asked to do now is dog-dog reactivity. Okay.
2: It is. I do it all the time, and you know, I mean, I have my Chihuahua Jasmine, mm-hmm. very similar thing. I've done exactly what Sam has just said that uh, this person should do, and it obviously, and I work with all my reactive dogs in the same way, and it it's beautiful how this technique works. And really you're you're redirecting behavior but you're giving the dog something else to do. Another action. So instead of lunging towards the other dog, the dog's now not just looking forward to the approach of another dog, because that means good things happen to it, but is now taking direction from you. And that gives her confidence. That's what it's all about. Because so many people, when they see these dogs aggressing, reacting, aggressing, whether it's reacting out of um, or aggressing because the dog has had a a traumatic experience, happen to it, or just is socially inexperienced, doesn't know how to behave... That, that really vehement reaction that it has is always classed as the dog is nasty or the dog is being unpleasant or the dog's being aggressive when really it's the dog just saying, I'm terrified. Mm-hmm. Um, and then realizing that that behavior worked and actually that behavior made me feel better. So it's almost that behavior is reinforcing. But if you can give the dog another behavior to do that is even more reinforcing and gives the dog confidence. In a positive way, that's how you deal with it. You don't deal with this kind of behavior, telling your dog off, jerking the dog, yanking the dog, hitting the dog, restraining the dog on the ground on its side or in its back like so many people, so many uh, outdated trainers do. And I think, Sam, that's important, isn't it, to say that that's not the way that you deal, whether you've got a tiny little Pomeranian or a big Mastiff, you're dealing with this kind of reactivity in a similar way.
3: You know, the hardest part is getting the owners to understand the concept of fear that their dogs have. And the other thing, too, is, you know, once an owner has experienced this with their dog, then even before they get out the door, the owner is already subconsciously tensing up. They are subconsciously nervous. They're becoming a little fearful of what's going to happen when they get out the door. And, you know, the old saying, what goes down the lead comes up the lead. So the dog's already tensing up. And then they get out the door and they just explode. The owner jerks them back. Now the owner doesn't want to go for the walks. I mean, this is a a perpetuating circle that includes as much work with the owner as it does with the dog.
1: All right, here's another question. Uh, This is from Tiffany in Akron, Ohio. And she says she has a one-year-old collie named Clover who is a sweet, loving, active dog. But she also has two children, ages five and seven. And she says, the kids and the dog are great together, except every time my children go out to play in the snow, Clover likes to knock them down and steal the hats off their heads. Then she tries to engage them in a great game of keep away. Yesterday, she did it to our neighbor who just wanted to play with my kids. How do I stop this behavior? So, you know, hey, it's all fun and games until somebody gets annoyed.
3: Vic, I'll let you go first. (laughs) Well, you know what? No, again, because when it comes to dogs and kids... Yeah.
1: Well, it is a touchy subject because it can turn, you know, uh, that's how accidents happen.
2: I think these kids age five and seven, it's sort of on the cusp. I would, for now, not have the kids and the
1: dog outside together. Or don't put the kids in it the, when they have hats on.
2: When, well, when they're playing rambunctiously. I mean, go for a nice walk with the dog in the snow um, or have the dog on leash with the with the parents there while the kids play. But it's a, it is a great game for Clover, but she's knocking these kids down. She's stealing the hats off the heads, which is kind of funny to think about, but then when you really think about it, that could
1: potentially be an accident waiting to happen oh yeah if they go lunge for the head and you get the eye or you get and, an ear and the she steals
2: changes. the hats and then she's saying hey get keep away from me i have your hat now and the best way to stop behavior is not allow a dog to indulge in it in the first place and i think this is one situation you can really manage what do you think about that sam
3: yeah i mean you know as soon as you said five and seven and then you, you got the knockdown going on and everything else, and you know, and to Clover, these kids are like the greatest playmates in the world, <laughs> and, and she doesn't know any different, and, and why would she? They're, you know, we're vertical bipeds, and what does she know about humans? But I'm willing to bet this started even before this, and, and, she, and it's become this rewarding behavior that she does over and over and over, and everybody tries to chase her, and, I mean, it's a great game of chase, but, Vic, I'm with you. I mean, the management is... We can do other things, but when you guys are out in the snow, that's for you. And you know, mom or dad will take Clover out in the snow so she can play with us. Let's keep everybody safe.
1: And what about what, what about if the dog likes to play keep away? What about playing keep away with an appropriate toy, with a dog toy?
3: You know, and, and to, you know the thing is, again, you know the hat to the dog is the appropriate toy, and you're not going to get five to seven year olds to say no, not my hat. Here, take this toy instead. So, mom or dad or both need to be out there supervising this mm-hmm. whole thing, okay, and, and bringing the appropriate things with them to engage clover.
2: Because it only, it's only going to take one little mm-hmm. nip oh. in a in a uh, you know in a kid's face, or, or just even though clover's not trying to be aggressive or is is trying to bite. I mean, just it's an accident waiting to happen. So just stop it from happening. Set the dog up for success. Set the children up for success. And manage the situation effectively.
1: All right. Here's a question from Magdy and Karen in North Andover, Massachusetts. And she says they need serious help. They're fostering a one-year-old terrier mix. And I love that they're fostering this dog. He's traumatized of almost everything, going out, TV, some sounds, and more. Not aggressive. Likes our other two dogs. No problems with people. He likes to sit in the corner and hide. Other times he's happy and wants to play, but only for a few minutes. Then he goes back into his shell. He walks low to the ground. He said, she says, please help us get him ready to be adopted. And that's just so incredibly sad to me. But can, this, can they teach this dog more confidence, and, and, or is this a dog that just needs to be with one person and sedentary?
3: I mean, I know for me, and Vicks, pardon me for cutting in on this, uh, because I live with a dog who has global fears, and being that they're in North Andover, Massachusetts, whether it's maybe Cornell or Tufts, I, I would definitely be reaching out for their help because pharmacology could really play a positive role here.
2: I think you're right. I absolutely agree. And you know, when you go, when you talk about medication, people go, "Oh, I don't want to put my dog on medication. Mm. I don't want to. I don't want to use drugs. I don't want my dogs dogs not going to behave in the same way, and it's going to be get all freaked out and." And that's not what modern-day drugs do to these dogs anymore. My it, dog's it on drugs,
1: and it's phenomenal. He's yeah, on Prozac. It,
2: it really, you know, it takes the edge of that stress and gives the dog the ability to learn. When a dog is so unbelievably fearful or so unbelievably stressed they can't learn they literally their brain does not allow them to learn because their brain is flooded with keeping themselves safe mm-hmm. in their mind you know and in, in their chemical makeup at that time is keeping themselves safe so you've got a dog that is constantly under stress constantly trying to seek safety and um, I, I absolutely agree with you Sam I think the the pharmacological route is the way to go
3: first So, and, so you get it's working. The brain can't think. Okay. As the brain can't think, the brain will, re- will retreat to what it feels to be its safest course of action. And the other thing is, unfortunately, if the dog goes into a corner and hide, the dog isn't adoptable at this point because, God forbid, somebody tried to press that issue. Mm. If it wasn't a big match and they didn't understand, the dog could possibly lash out. And the dog, in its mind, is making the appropriate decision. It just wants to be left alone. So I mean, without the meds, this is going to be this would be next one possible. Yeah, and
2: uh, I think you're, it's going to be a foster for a very long time. Or you know, with your dog Sam, and I, you know, I have a fearful dog. I got her when she was six months old. That that had already the fear had already been imprinted in her mind. I know she was had no socialisation whatsoever. She hadn't seen cars. She hadn't been outside. I mean, this poor animal. has taken me. A long time and a lot of love to get her to the point where, you know, she's still a little fearful of things, but she's come a massive long way. But it's taken me a long time. Um, I think it's going to take these people a long time, too.
1: Here's one more question. We'll do one more. Um, This is from Amber in Mount Washington, Kentucky. And she says she's 15 years old and she got her beagle about a year and a half ago. She says, I got her when she was 10 weeks old from a shelter. I started house training right away. It took her a while, but eventually she got it. I have a small house, and she stopped going in most of the rooms, but she sometimes goes in my brother's room and in the hallway next to their room. How do I teach her not to go there after she already knows not to go in the rest of the house? She's talking about going to the bathroom. Is she marking something? We do have one other male dog and two female cats, but they all get along well together. This dog just seems to be marking What or something. What do you think?
3: This dog is how old now?
1: She says the dog was about a year and a half ago. So the dog's probably about a year and a half, almost two. Yeah, about a year uh, and three quarters old now.
3: Yeah, so I mean... 18 months. Well, there's two things. Either A, the, the house training isn't reliable. Uh, and, you know, we, we go back to... Almost back to, to step one to start, you know, doing that again. Uh, you know, the dog's under supervision, so you can kind of keep an eye on it. You set things up so the dog can let you know, you know, when it has to go outside and that. But then also... You know, where the dog keeps going to the bathroom at, you know, simple things. What are you cleaning it with? You know, pine sole or something isn't going to do that. Are using an enzymatic? And if it's marking, um, and she didn't say in there if the dog's altered or not, or if the cats are altered or, or anything else, then we're going to have that issue as well. And, I mean, for me, I've read a bunch of different stuff about dogs who mark and trying to to curb that habit. I haven't come across anything that has actually worked well. Many, you know, for a good portion of the time. Yeah. So with that, I mean, uh, Vic, you, you know, you're more widely read than I am, so no. I don't know. I...
2: Well, uh, you know, I agree with you. Um, certainly, marking is extremely difficult to to curb. Uh, neutering helps in some cases. Um, spaying can actually make the situation worse sometimes. But, um, if there is competition, if there's sexual competition or just resource competition, that can make the mocking worse. So it's removing that desire to compete. Um, but here, cause I'm reading this, Sam, and she says, I have a small house and she stopped going in most of the rooms, but she sometimes goes in my brother's room and the hallway next to their do- to their room. So sh- this dog this dog was toileting in other rooms. So I agree with what you said because this dog's behavior had obviously been reinforced a number of times and they hadn't started what seems to be proper supervision and basic house training 101. They they let her or she did have experience of toileting in other rooms. So I, I think this sounds more that... They have to go back to basics and start sort of rehouse training her. constantly. And, and,
3: and, and listen, I hate to say it. And it's a beagle. Yeah. And God knows I love beagles, but oh my lord, the hounds! Oh.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, so I think there's less of a marking problem, more more of a house training issue go back house training 101 get my book it's me or the dog how to have the perfect pet you'll get it all in there or my new book's coming out March 2013 I'm going to say it again everyone's going to be like oh my gosh she's going to saying a darn book again how to train your dog positively there's a whole protocol that you follow with the house training that That's should right. set your dog back up on the road to recovery sam thank you so much you see that's the reason why you're Victoria still positive (laughs) because you are so awesome
1: so again sam wyke the inner dog in long branch new jersey right they can find you do you have a website that they can uh check out yep
3: the uh i'm up there with the positively website sam.wyke.positively.com and uh Vic, I I thank you very much for having me tonight, for taking the time. I I really do appreciate it. And I have to tell you, I mean, you know, there's organizations that I belong to or, you know, know of or whatever, but there's nothing that is as supportive as the team that you have put together and continue to put together with the VSPDT trainers. And, And that's what's going to make the difference, not just for us as trainers, but for the people that we interact with. So thank you for that.
2: Thank you so much, Sam. Thanks for being on.
1: And don't forget, if you want to find a trainer near you, one of Victoria Stilwell's Positively Dog Trainers, go to positively.com slash trainers. In case you don't live in an area where Sam is or you're not by Victoria, you can find a trainer that's closest to you. Thanks again, Sam. Isn't he awesome? He is great. Mm -hmm. I want to see a picture of him with those huge dogs. That is going to be genius. We have to put it up on the website.
2: So do I. I'm very proud of, Everybody who's in the Victoria Still Positively Dog Training Team. They yep. are an amazing group of people.
1: No doubt. Let's get some more trainers on because I think that was really cool, getting if, a different perspective. Not that I don't love you. I think that they're... Um... Oh, I
2: love it. Hey, <laughs> it takes the pressure off. And if you're interested in becoming Victoria Still Positively Dog Trainer, then please go to my website, vspdt.com, where you'll be able to find out lots of information about how you can apply. Perfect.
1: And I'm really excited about next week's podcast because... We have a woman who you've talked about for a long time, who you've known for uh, a while, and she is the editor of a magazine, a really cool magazine, and um, she's going to talk about some controversial topics, I think. We're going to get into it, and uh, we'll see what happens. I think we're going to stir up a lot of emotion. Can't wait.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Victoria Stilwell's Positively Podcast. For more information, visit Positively.com. Get connected on Facebook as Victoria Stillwell, or follow her on Twitter at It's Me or the Dog. This Positively podcast has been brought to you by Pets Ad Life, who encourage you to get a pound for your pet. Visit PetsAdLife.org or the Pets Ad Life Facebook page to learn more. Be sure to tune in next time as Victoria helps to change dogs' lives positively. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.